Well, hello there. I'm Brett Johnson. I'm a former criminal. The United States Secret Service called me the original internet godfather. Yep, no shit. The way I ended up with that title was being convicted of 39 felonies, being placed on the United States most wanted list, escaping from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. Guess what? I went to prison. Yep, no surprise there. The surprise, the surprise is I had enough people who cared about me, who took me under their wing and gave me a chance to help me turn my life around. Today, I work to protect businesses and consumers from the type of person I used to be. Welcome to the Online Fraudcast. Now, for those who don't know, Frank on Fraud, Frank McKenna writes it. It is head and shoulders above every other fraud blogster that I know. And I kid you not, every other fraud blogster that I know. That other guy that does the fraud blog, the well-known one whose first name begins with Brian, whose last name ends with Krebs, no, Frank McKenna. He's one to read. So if you're not reading him, please head over, read Frank on Fraud. He's very good. So he published this article, and I am mentioned in the article because he talked to me about refund fraud. He messages me last night. He's like, hey, Brett, we are being mentioned on some of these crime Telegram channels. So Telegram is this chat board, kind of chat session things that are encrypted. You got independent channels and everything. And a lot of crime is happening on Telegram. So he messaged me, sent me the, the link. He's like, look what they're saying. And there was a kill list. Someone had made a list up using my name and Frank's name. We need to kill these two. So I'd never been over to this Telegram channel where it was mentioned. It's the AOI Crime Telegram channel. So I just load up my little horse, trot on down to the Telegram, visit the channel, AOI Crime or AIO Crime. And I'm assuming that means the the Association of International Online Crime. I don't know, but that'd be a cool little name. So I'm just saying No idea what it means, but that's what it means to me. So I went in, visited, registered under my own name, and hey, I'm Brett Johnson. Somebody here wants to kill me. What's up? I wanted to see if somebody was ready to cowboy the fuck up. If they just had a big bark and a no bite or what have you. Well, it turns out it was all bark, no bite. But it also turns out I had forgotten one of the things about the fraudsters versus the good guys. The thing is, is that for both sides, the fraudster side and the anti-fraudster side, for both sides, it's very similar. It truly is. Now, I may, this may be an unpopular opinion, but both sides, it's a job. It's a career on both sides. It truly is. It's a career. Some of these guys have been doing this for years. I was a cyber criminal for, for years, years upon years. It's a job on both sides. Now, for all those good guys out there, you know that you get bored sometimes. You know, you get stressed sometimes. You get high anxiety sometimes. You got to let off some of that steam. 
And you've got all these channels to do that. You can bitch to your family, your spouse, you can bitch to your coworkers, you can bitch to the bartender, you can bitch whoever you want to, but you got to let off some steam sometimes. You got to do something to get your mind off that job. It's no different on the other side of the equation. All those people that are out there committing crime, it's their job. But there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of boredom. They got to let off some steam sometimes. And that's what these forums and these channels, that's one of the things that they allow because, you know, the good guys, they have all these avenues they can let off steam with. The bad guys, they don't have those avenues. Most of their friends and family don't know they're criminals. They can't really go and tell them about their day at the job. Oh, it was great. I bought all these credit cards. It turns out every damn one was dead. Had six laptops coming into six different drop addresses. Four laptops got reverse shipped. One laptops got stolen off the porch before I could go and get it. The sixth laptop looks like that was controlled delivery, so I couldn't pick its ass up. Broke ass day to day. Don't know how I'm going to feed the baby. So you can't tell your friends and family that kind of stuff, but you're stressed over stuff like that. You got to let off some steam. That's what these channels, that's what the forums and stuff, that's what it allows is for you to let off steam. So I went over there and you know I started bullshitting around with the guys. Honestly, had a lot of fun. I did. I, I was over there over two hours. I think I was over there over three hours, just chatting away, answering all their questions, you know, about me and my life and everything I had done and all that stuff. And I'd ask them some questions. They'd answer me and everything else. And there were some good guys over there. Now they're criminals. They're criminals. They're breaking the law. But there were some good guys over there. There were. There were some guys that, that I had a blast talking to. And again, this may be an unpopular opinion. People may look at me and say, oh, you're talking to criminals. Yeah, you know, I'm talking to criminals because I used to be a criminal. I'm not, I'm not judgmental. I know what it's like on that side of the fence. I don't like what they're doing. I hope they turn their lives around. This guy named Radiant, evidently he's been around for a few years. He was very personable, very funny, very outgoing. I can see why he's excelling in a career as a fraudster, as a social engineer, as a criminal. There's another guy named Gordo who evidently he's newer in the in the cybercrime arena, but he's still very impressive. There was a guy named uh, Sparky Flight Plug who came in late to the conversation and started bitching a lot. He's like, we need to ban this son of a bitch. He's a fan. He's a cop. But you know, here's one of the things that I noticed and I'd kind of forgotten that too. I mean, I know it inherently, but it was brought back to the surface when I was talking to these guys. You take Sparky. Sparky comes in with this attitude of ban, 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 get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. He's no good. He's no good. He's no good. Now, on the other side of the equation, the good guy side, that dogma is over there. The difference between the good guys and the bad guys, the bad guys are much more open-minded. They're much more free-flowing with the decision-making. Good guys tend to get something in their head and they stick with it. It's like, oh, no, this is the way it works. This is the way it works. This is the way it works. The bad guys aren't like that. The bad guys are no. They know that, hey, we can change our mind. We're free-flowing. We can make decisions. It's okay to change your mind based on the incoming information that's coming in. The good guys are much less likely to be like that, either because of management has been ingrained in them or what have you. That, that type of institutionalized thinking is ingrained in the good guys. The bad guys aren't institutionalized like that. They're not. They're free-flowing with their thought patterns. That's one of the things I noticed about that. And by the end of our conversation, Sparky was like, you know, I kind of like you, man. You're all right. You, you're, you can stay. So I spoke to the owner of the channel today and we had a nice chat. He turns out very professional gentleman. I told him, I was like, hey, man, I'm not trying to launch investigations, get your channel or anything else. Hope you guys straighten up, but I'm not condescending. I'm not self-righteous. I'm not judgmental. I just like to come over every now and then, see what you guys are up to. Maybe chit chat a little bit. You know, no offense, nothing like that. And he was like, he was like, okay, I don't see a problem with that. So I'll be going over there talking to the guys every now and then. 
just get a feel for the dynamics of cybercrime, the way it's working today. And I'll kind of report back on that every now and then. For the Telegram people that are listening, I know there are some, I've got some listeners from that channel and I've got some criminal listeners. I don't like what you guys are doing. I wish the best for you and I hope that you're able to get out of breaking the law soon because at the end of it, the, the end result is not good. It's a six by nine cell. It's losing your friends and family. It's having trouble getting a legitimate job when you do get out of prison. For you good guys out there, there's a lot to learn from these guys. You know, it's the being open-minded, being able to change your mind, being able to be accepting of outside opinions and viewpoints, being able to collaborate, to share information, understanding by educating everyone across the board that everyone in your group, the good guy group, becomes better at their job. That's fraudsters have known that for decades, decades. Let's move right along. When we come back, we'll be having the fake news report. Oh, yeah. My grandfather. My grandfather, Paul G. Campbell, the G didn't stand for anything. It was just a placeholder, kind of like Harry S. Truman. I guess some people out there didn't know the S doesn't stand for anything in Harry S. Truman. It's just there. Paul G. Campbell was the same way, except he referred to himself like Fred G. Sanford. You know, G didn't stand for anything. Paul G. Campbell, the G didn't stand for anything. But all the time he would complain. He was a Republican. He would complain about the Democrats. There were three boys in the house. There was me and my two cousins, Sean and Ronnie. And as Paul got older, he he was the Republican. His wife, Alverna, was a Democrat. And Paul was crazy. I mean, he was crazy. He would chase us around the house with a knife, with a a hose. He would threaten to kill us. He, He fired guns in the house. This was Paul Campbell. And he'd look at his wife, he'd look at us, and he'd say, you know, Vern, you ain't nothing but a damn Democrat. That's all you are. You're just a damn Democrat. Only good Democrats are dead Democrat. And he'd look at me, he'd look at me and the two, my two cousins, he'd say, now, boys, now, before I die, I want you to take me on down to the courthouse so I can change my registration from a Republican to a Democrat. And we'd look at him, we'd say, well, well, granddad, why do you want to do that? And he'd say, that way, there's one less dead Republican and one more dead damn Democrat because they are just despicable. So he'd say that to us. He'd, anybody that come to the house, anybody that come to the house, and I mean anybody, if it was a stranger, we had somebody visit, whatever, he'd sit them down and say, now, where are you a Democrat or Republican? And they'd say Republican or Democrat. If they'd say Democrat, he'd say, do you read the Bible? And he'd pull out his Bible and he'd go, I forgot what the passage is, but there's a passage in there that talks about God separating the sheep from the goats. And he'd read that passage to him and he'd point it out to him and say, now you see there where it says the sheep and the goats. The goats is Democrats and they're all going to hell. The Republicans is the sheep and they're all going to heaven. Do you want to go to hell? No, you don't. You want to go to heaven. So you need to change your ways. Now, the reason I say that is we have a Republican president who evidently went to the school of Paul G. Campbell because today he retweeted. He retweeted a a video that said the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. This is the United States president doing this. This is the United States president doing this. And we all know that Donald Trump can go crazy. We all know that he runs off at the mouth that he's got diarrhea of the mouth. But when a United States president says that the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat, let me tell you, there's a lot of disturbed people out there. There's a lot of mentally incompetent people out there that don't really know what the hell's going on a lot of the time. And when they see somebody that there's, that's their idol, like Donald Trump, 
And there's, there's mentally disturbed people on both sides of the fence. But when you come out and say the only good Democrats are dead Democrat, some of these mentally disturbed people may take that to heart. They may say, you know, I know where one of them, them, dead, them Democrats is. My president says the only good ones, a dead one. Huh. Maybe I can do some good on this planet. That's the kind of shit that happens. Donald Trump said he took the malaria drug. So we've already seen some people that started taking the malaria drug because Donald Trump said it helps against coronavirus. A couple of people go and take a damn aquarium treatment that's got this malaria drug in it. And one of them dies. The other one's in ICU. I don't know if the other one died or not. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But that's the shit that happens. When you've got a president, someone in authority that's spouting off at the mouth like that, that's a problem. And I, I get, hey, he's done some good things. He has. He's done a lot of bad things, a lot of stupid things. Let's move right along. Hey, how about this? On this week's edition of the Fake News Report, how about the assholes of the week? Because one's just not enough. How about Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey? Both of them? Yes, yes, yes. So Jack Dorsey's over there. He's heading up Twitter. Of course, they come out and they fact check Donald Trump because Donald Trump had diarrhea of the mouth again. And he starts posting about the election fraud. Oh, they're going to say, oh my God, these mail-in votes. Oh my God, it's going to be election fraud. They're going to steal the election. And of course, Twitter feels some responsibility and decides they're going to fact check it. Trump goes ballistic. Not only that, but Twitter, Donald Trump starts posting this bullshit about this reporter, she dies. It dies in this office of this guy who's one of the mortal enemies of Donald Trump. He despises a guy, I think it's Joe Scarborough or something like that. I, forgive me if it's not. It's one of those guys over there. And Donald Trump starts posting, well, he may have murdered her. Obviously just false. But he tweets it. Twitter, the husband of this dead wife, asked Twitter to take it down because of the pain it's causing the family, him, everything else. Twitter, Oh, no. No, we can't. We can't take it down. So, Jack Dorsey, you are an asshole of the week. Mark Zuckerberg, you are an asshole of the week because you say that social networks should not be fact-checking political speech. Oh, bravo. Oh, bravo. Oh, you're all for free speech. You know you're not for free speech, dude. You're for you. That's who you're for. You're for you. You let Cambridge Analytica come in and try to influence the election. You let the Russians come in and try to influence the election. And that's okay with you. That's okay with you. As long as you make that money, as long as you've got that, all that property bought over in Hawaii over there, and you're running all the residents out of their property and their land and everything else, it's okay with you. So you get the asshole of the week for that. So a pair of assholes this week. And I'm not just picking on the Republicans. Joe Biden. Let's take, talk about Joe Biden. Joe Biden comes out last week. He says he's talking to an African-American, and they ask about the black vote, and Joe Biden's like, well, I'm going to tell you, you ain't black, you vote for Donald Trump. Old white guy telling African-Americans who to vote for, and if they don't vote for him, they're not black. Thank you, Joe. Of course, you then have the audacity to come out in, in support of George Floyd and saying we have to get to the root of all this. Well, I'm going to tell you what part of the root of all this is. It's statements like that. Statements like that. We'll be back with the main meat after this short break. When Shadow Crew was up, we ended, the, when the feds busted us, we had 4,000 members. Alexander Kazas, 2017, he was running Alpha Bay. When the feds shut his ass down, he ended with 240,000 members. This past year, black market. When the feds shut that down, 1.15 million members. 
So those numbers do continue to increase. Now, the question is, is why? Why in the hell do those numbers keep going up, 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 faster, faster, faster? Does this thing ever stop? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. I'm going to give a couple of examples of why maybe not. The examples I'm giving today are Dell and the Paycheck Protection Program. That's right, the PPP, the Government Stimulus Program. Boy, criminals love that thing right now. You talk about temptation. If Brett Johnson was tempted at all, it'd be the stimulus checks or the Paycheck Protection Program. Man, oh man, you talk about wide open. But let's talk about Dell first. Why are we going to talk about Dell first? Well, because looking at credit card fraud in an organized cybercrime environment, I am literally the guy who did the first test on COBs. Back then it was called COB, change of billing. Today it's called ATOs, account takeovers. Now back then, what happened was this guy named Script, his real name is Dmitry Golubov. He started a website called Carter Planet. It's the advent of modern credit card theft as we know it today. Starts with Dmitry Golubov, Roman Vega, and a host of other people who set up and ran Carter Planet. Dmitry was over in the Ukraine. He saw the success we were having, or I was having, with a site called Counterfeit Library, the forerunner of Shadow Crew. And he decides, hey, I'm a spammer. I'm getting all this credit card data. I wonder if people would buy stolen credit card details. So he picks up the phone. He calls his buddies. They call their buddies. They have a live physical conference in Odessa and hatch the plan for Carter Planet. Like I said, the advent of modern credit card theft is where that begins with Dimitri and company. Now, Dimitri, he didn't really serve any jail time. They arrested him. He spends six weeks in Ukrainian jail. Politician lets his ass out. He fights extradition. He beats extradition. He starts his own political party called the Internet Party of the Ukraine. And because he does have a sense of humor, its platform is to stomp out fraud. He goes on to be a member of parliament. He's on parliament right now in the Ukraine. He stands a chance of being one of the next presidents of the Ukraine if Vladimir Putin doesn't kill his ass first. Personally, I'm opting for that. Anyway, Dmitry script, he came to our site offering COBs, change of billing. Now it's called account takeovers. And what he said was, is he said, hey, guys, just give me a drop address. Give me a burner phone number. Wait five business days. Order whatever the hell you want to order. So. I was the only reviewer. Every single business transaction, anyone that wanted to sell an item or a service, they literally had to go through Brett Johnson. That was the gate. I, I reviewed every single product or service at that point in time. So, Dimitri and I hook up. We actually become friends. I contact him. I was like, hey, dude, you got to be reviewed to sell over here in the American, with the Americans. And he's like, reviewed? What are you talking about? And I was like, look, because, see, the point was the Ukrainians, they literally knew each other. They didn't have to be reviewed because they knew what services and products they offered and everything. They knew they could do that. The Americans didn't know that. So you had to establish trust. And that trust came by being reviewed by someone that was extremely trusted, myself. So I reviewed him. He, uh, the first, he, he's like, you know, yeah, I got the service. I was like, okay, what do you need? He says, I need a drop address and a phone number. I give him a drop address. I give him a prepaid cell phone number. Wait five business days. And then he says, I'm supposed to be able to order whatever I want to order. So I try to hit Dell. Ah, here's the Dell connection. So I try to hit Dell.com for, I think, like $5,000 worth of computers. It failed. Yeah, the order didn't go through. The card was declined. So I go back on ICQ and I contact Script. And I was like, hey, dude, this failed. And he's like, oh, give me one more try. And I was like, look, man, I said, I'm going to give you one more chance. But if it fails this next time, that's your ass. 
He says, give me one more chance. So I give him another drop address, another phone number, wait five more business days, and I place an order with Thompson's Computer Warehouse for $4,000 and then Dell.com again for $5,000. And the order goes through. They ship. I get the packages in. I post the review on the forums. And almost overnight, the forums change from eBay theft and identity theft type website to a credit theft website. And that's the advent of what we see today with credit card theft. Dell is important because that, my friends, was like 2000. Geez, that was 2001, 2000? Yeah, about 2000, year 2000. That was the year 2000 that I was hitting Dell. Today, Dell is still wide open. Back then, Dell was wide open. Today, Dell is still wide open. And guess what? The technique that was working back then, basically the same technique works today to defraud Dell, the exact same technique. Back then, you you could do a change of billing. You could change the address, the billing address to a drop address that you control, the phone number to a number that you control, and you'd order, and the order would go through just fine, and Dell would ship you whatever item you wanted to. You'd hit the – so you wouldn't order – a made computer. You wouldn't order a computer to be made at the factory specifically for you. You'd go to the Dell outlet and you'd find whatever the, the most expensive computer was they had there, the second most expensive, and you'd order that, you know, two-day air, and they'd ship it to you. You didn't have to do the ATO. You didn't have to change the billing address. You could just use an in-state credit card or a, a credit card next to the next state over, something like that. It'd still go, go through just fine. Guess what? That exact same technique works today, 2020, 20 years later. That exact same technique is open, wide open. You want to know how to defraud Dell today? Here's the step-by-step on that. The first thing you do is you open up an email address. Now, you don't have to buy the credit card yet, but you do need an aged email. You do need that. So it doesn't matter where the email comes from. Gmail's just fine. So you open up an email address and some sort of generic name, not one of these like random generator number name emails, but some sort of random name like, you know, I love lumber, some some crap like that at gmail.com. You let it age out a couple weeks. Go buy your credit card. Some stolen credit cards. I don't care where you buy the credit cards, as long as it's a good supplier. One of the better suppliers right now is over on Wicker. His name is Gaia, 88AB. Yeah, Gaia has been around since Alphabet. Since Alphabet, that AB, so his screen name is Gaia, 88AB. 88, I'm assuming, is the year. The AB is for Alphabet. Gaia from Alphabet. So he sells these things. He sells credit cards for, I don't know, 16, 18 bucks a pop right now. You buy a host of credit cards from him. For that $16, you get the credit card number, the expiration, three-digit security code, the person's name, address, phone number. That's all you get. That's all you need. That's all you need. So you get that, then you head over to Dell. Go to the outlet store, and you find that expensive computer, that XPS, the desktop, the laptop, the Alienware, whatever the hell you want, you find it. Now, y'all don't want to buy one item. So you want, now here's what Dell, sometimes Dell puts like a fake item as the the most expensive thing. So you don't want the most expensive. So you want the second or third. That's what you want. You want the second or third item. And you buy that. You put it in the cart. You go to check out. You use, so you've already got your drop address in your local area. Now the credit card that you're going to buy is going to be in state, hopefully in the same city that you're in. If you can't get the same city, you want it in the same state. If you can't get the same state, you want an adjacent state. That's, that's really what you want. You want it as close as you can possibly get. So you're going to go and put it in the cart. You're going to fill out the information. It's going to ask both the shipping and the billing address. You put the drop address in as both the shipping and the billing. 
And at the same, now it'll go to the next screen. You'll pay with credit card before you actually submit the payment. It'll ask you to confirm the addresses are correct, and it'll give you the opportunity at that point to update the billing address. At that point is when you update the billing address to the actual billing address of the credit card. Go to the next screen, submit, order goes through just fine. Three days later, that laptop, that desktop arrives at the drop address. Now they're gonna want signature. Signature is not required, so that means you can just simply leave a note on the door saying, hey, drop off the package here. I, I advise you or I release you to, to drop off the package, and the package arrives just fine. From a tech side, you don't need proxies. You don't need anything else like that. The only thing you need is a new device, a clean device. So just head down to Walmart, get your prepaid cell phone, sign on to the Verizon network or the AT&T network. You're good to go at that point. It's literally that easy. That's how you defraud Dell. That same technique, minus the prepaid cell phone to place the order because they didn't have mobile orders back then like that. But that same technique worked in the year 2000 that works today. That's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons that fraud, cybercrime continues to grow, continues to grow. Now, the big secret behind it all is with as big as Dell is, with this specific type of fraud, it never crosses that 1% threshold barrier. So all these fraudsters that are hitting Dell all the time for the stolen laptops, the carded laptops and everything else, evidently the fraud threshold is never high enough that Dell has seriously sat down and tried to stop it. The reason that is such a, that this story is important while it's not evidently not that big a concern for Dell, it is a huge concern for fraudsters because they know, Hey, this thing is still, we can still hit this. Now it's hard to resell those computers because the warranties don't really transfer that well and you have to explain where the hell you got it from and everything else like that. People are questioning. But fraudsters know that, hey, I can get me a new laptop over here anytime I want it. And they typically do. That's one of the reasons that cybercrime continues to grow is, is companies that even though they, and I guess they don't think it's that important to them because they've not stopped it in 20 years, two decades, because it's not important to them, they figure, oh, it's okay. But to fraudsters, that's really important. It's really important that companies continue to do the same thing 20 years later, and they can still profit by it. The next example I'm going to talk about is the federal government. Now we've got coronavirus, and we're seeing again that the federal government is giving away money for free to criminals because there's absolutely no security in place. And I mean, no security in place. If you want stimulus checks, if you want to steal stimulus checks, the only thing you need is someone's information who has not filed taxes in a couple of years. If you, if you can round up people who have not filed taxes, as long as you input the information in the computer before they can, you get the check. That's right. You get the check. The only thing you need is your social security number, date of birth. You need an address, a phone number, and someplace to have that check deposited. That's it. Now, that, that's easy, easy right there. That's four or $500,000 a month profit. You know how to set it up properly and quickly. Now, the IRS, the federal government, decided they were going to stop accepting direct deposit information, which I thought, oh, that's smart. That's smart. That gives them more time to, you know, think about the security, to implement it, to be able to cancel this stuff that's going on and, and get a hold on the fraud that's taking place. Well, I was wrong about that thought process. I gave the federal government too much credit because within three to four days after that, 
they released a statement saying, okay, yeah, we're not doing federal, we're not doing direct deposit anymore. What we're going to do instead is we're going to send out a prepaid debit card with the $1,200 on it. It actually, they actually made that crime become easier because before that, the criminal had to go and find these instruments to have deposits sent to, these prepaid credit credit cards or bank accounts. They had to get go and get the instrument. Now the instrument, the deposit instrument's being sent to them. So all they need now is some drop addresses. So you can use some virtual residential drop addresses, have all these cards sent to those, and you're good to go at that point. You can still cash out at five dollars $600,000 a month with even less work than it took before. That's right, the federal government helping to feed criminals everywhere. Now we've got the Paycheck Protection Program. And there's been some news lately, some high profile cases of people who have been defrauding the Paycheck Protection Program. There was a an actor over in Atlanta who owned a trucking company who got $2 million and he went and get, he goes and buys himself an $85,000 Rolex and he gets himself a Bentley and I don't know what else he spent. A, he spent $1.5 million on bullshit. Of course he gets indicted. Yeah, he gets indicted for that. There's been a couple of other cases as well. The paycheck protection program is an absolute joke, an absolute joke. It turns out, it turns out that as long as the dollar amount is under $2 million, that the entire thing is self-certified, that the federal government has came out and said, we're not going to do any audits. Not only that, but repaying, no, you don't have to worry about repaying it. No, you don't have to worry. So it's $2 million free for anybody who has a business that needs it or for those who don't have a business that want it. So it's a two-page application, okay? You put in the business information, you put in where you want the money deposited, you have to send in some supporting documents, you know, tax returns, they don't have to be filed, but you have to send, you know, bank statements, which can be forged. You know, I, I know places today that you can buy bank statements for $80 a pop, everything else. So you can buy all the forged documents that you need. They're not, it's self-certified. They're, they, they don't check any of the documents. They just want the documents there. Then they send you the money. Businesses, you can use what's called a shelf corporation. That's S-H-E-L-F, as in Frank, you can use a shelf corporation. Now, a shelf corporation is a company, it's a corporation that is out of business, but it is not terminated. It goes back to the state and it sits on a shelf until someone wants to buy it. So you can buy aged shelf corporations with bank accounts attached now. You can use one of those and apply for the Paycheck Protection Program, get $2 million in. You can steal someone's business identity. So someone who's working down the street that's still in business that doesn't have these issues. So you can use one of these businesses that's still in business, that's operating, that's not really hurting. You can steal their identity follow the claim for $2 million, get the $2 million at that point. You can use an out-of-business business. Did I just say that? Yeah, you can use a business that's out of business. Steal that identity, apply for the Paycheck Protection Program, and get it as well. It's that easy. It is literally that easy. How do you do it? Well, there's, there's several EIN directories online. There's some free ones online where you can look up the the EIN of the business. You can find out who the owner is. You can get all the personal information that you want to apply for that loan. Everything's just groovy. And don't think, here's the thing, don't think that the application, it's a two-page application. It's not difficult to fill out. So the total amount of questions to get $2 million. You answer 18 questions. Most of them are just check boxes. You answer 18 questions and you get $2 million. It's that easy. It's that easy. Then you have to you have to send in supporting documentations. So you contact your local forger. You send that in. 
and you get the $2 million. Then all you have to worry about is how you're going to get $2 million out of that bank account in a quick manner. So I guess you're going to be wiring out somewhere, trying to buy some cryptocurrency, whatever, try to get it out as quick as possible, just in case the federal government identifies it as fraud. And let me tell you something. The federal government identifying it as fraud, they're not. They're not. They're hitting the big cases, you know, that actor, a couple of the high-profile people, but most of these people that are committing fraud on this, no, they're not being identified. You take a fraudster who really knows what he's doing, who knows how to hide his identity, who knows how to run bank accounts, everything else, literally free money. All because the federal government has no security in place. Why does cybercrime succeed? A lot of the times it's not because of the competency of the criminal, it's because of the incompetency of the company or the institution. I'm Brett Johnson. Because it's not just always about committing crime. The criminal lifestyle is an entire lifestyle. It's an unethical life. We're over on Reddit. The subreddit is Illegal Life Pro Tips. The thread, how to shoplift effectively as told by a checkout guy. And he gives 10 tips. And I'm going I'm to go through all 10 tips because you know what? They are not bad tips. For those who don't know, I started off my life as a criminal as a shoplifter. Me and my sister shoplifting food because mom had left us at home. We didn't have any food in that. So we start shoplifting food. And of course, it turns into clothes from there, then books, games, jewelry, music, toys. Yeah! Kind of like this perverted form of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So that's where I started my life. And I know how to shoplift. I mean, I, I was 10 years old shoplifting. And then mom runs us as shoplifters for a while when she finds out we and Denise were stealing stuff. So this guy gives 10 tips as told by a checkout guy. Tip number one, don't wear loose clothing. It's incredibly suspicious, especially in the summer. Uh, you know, I would agree. Loose clothing is suspicious in the summer. What's even more suspicious in the summer is that hoodie that hot hoodie or that coat that you're wearing in there. If you're wearing that in a store, people are definitely going to look at you. You are definitely out of place. I would say a better idea to number one is to dress as everyone else is dressing in the store or in that, that area that you're shoplifting. That's a better idea. Tip number two, don't carry a bag. Also very suspicious. If you happen to have a bag, ask if they want to check it. Nine times out of 10, they'll let you go. In the event they don't let, let you go, they'll only check the main pockets. That's very true, too. If you, The thing is, is if you're walking, if you're shoplifting and you think someone's looking at you, if you've got a bag or what have you, definitely walk up to them. If you've got shit in the bag, walk up to them. You, you need to check this. as you're Actually, as you're going in the store, you look at them and say, hey, do I need to leave this bag on the counter? They're going to tell you no most of the time. So you can carry the bag with that right there gets rid of any suspicion that might be prevalent or might pop up on the part of management or the store employees, just approaching them with that. Certainly on the way out, show them bag, you sure you don't need to check it? They're going to tell you no, go right on. What you're doing is you're diffusing that paranoia, that suspicion that might, might be up there. So I agree with that completely. Number three, if you have any distinctive features, dyed hair, tattoos, etc., cover them completely. If you can't 100% cover them, leave them be it is less suspicious. Well, yeah, you don't want to stand out. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to go in there with striped hair or wearing carnival pants or anything else like that because you attract attention. You want to look like the rest of the customers. That's the most important thing. Number four, actually buy something. It's a dead giveaway if you're leaving without buying anything. That's true. If you actually walk in there and don't come out with something, something somebody's going to notice that. 
especially if you've done it two or three times at the same store, they're definitely going to notice it. So it doesn't matter what you buy. Buy something. Buy a pack of gum. Buy a Coke. Buy something like that. It gets Again, it gets rid of that suspicion. You walk around a little bit. You come out. You buy a Coke. You buy a pack of gum, candy bar, whatever. Gets rid of the suspicion. Number five, if it's a store with scanners at the exit, go through at the same time as someone else. Odds are they'll freak out, giving you time to bugger off. Yeah, I'm not big on that. I'm not big on that because, you know, I have seen people that two couples walk through or two different persons walk through the scanner at the same time. They call them both back. I sure have. I'm not, I'm not big with that at all. I think if you've got scanners, you need to make sure that the tag has been removed or you need to use some sort of blocking material to try to block the scanner from finding the tag. That's what I think on that. Number six, wear unremarkable clothes, jeans, plain t-shirts, etc. especially avoid logos and bright colors. Again, this goes back to this whole idea of dressing as the rest of the people in the area. You don't want, or the store, you don't want to stand out. You don't want to attract attention. So this is over and over the same idea. Don't attract attention. Don't stand out. Don't be unique when you're committing crime. That's why I buy, when I was a criminal, all my cars were, you know, gray and white. They didn't stand out. They, they didn't stand out at all. Nowadays, I drive a big, bright red Ford pickup truck and I've got a big red Mustang. Yeah. So I stand out these days because I'm legal. I don't care about that. I want to pop out these days. Number seven. Only steal from large corporations. Not only is it far more ethical than ripping off a family-owned business, but the employees are less likely to be on the lookout. I don't think it's less ethical at all. You're still stealing. There's <laughs> the ethics of stealing. It's less ethical if you hit a corporation. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's the same degree of unethical. You're still committing the exact same crime. Number eight. If it's a 24-7 store, don't shoplift at night. Come during peak hours when they're too busy serving to worry about shoplifters. Goes double if you're a miner. Unattended miners at night are super dodgy. Uh, I would agree you want to go when there's a lot of people there. That's nothing wrong with that advice at all. Number nine, only steal what you must and don't do it too often. The less you do it, the less likely you'll slip up or get noticed. Only steal what you must. So let me tell you. Unless you're stealing food or you're ragged on clothing, you don't have to steal anything and you don't have to steal that. There are food banks. You might have to swallow your pride, but there are food banks. There is a Salvation Army. So you don't have to steal anything. So don't feed me a blind of crap about only steal what you must. I will say, though, that the more you do it and the more crap you carry out, the more likely you are to get caught. So he is right on that. Number 10, confidence is key. If you look shifty, you will get caught. Completely agree. If you act like you know what you're doing, I don't care if it's social engineering, it's shoplifting, whatever. As long as you act like you know what you're doing, as long as you're confident in what you're doing, everyone else around you will be confident that you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. All right, moving along to the next illegal life pro tip. Here's a thread, and I love this one. Bring a leaf blower to a protest demonstration to fight against the tear gas. I love that. I truly love that. Because we've got some protests going on right now, and I hope that someone has read this thread and has a backpack blower or some sort of leaf blower, handheld leaf blower, so that when the police launch those tear gas things, they can just fire that sucker up and blow that tear gas right back at them. That's what I like to see right there. That's exactly what I like to see. So that's a good thread right there. Moving along to the next one. Okay, so here's the, here's the title of the post. 
And it says everything in the title. You don't need to read the thread. It just says everything in the title. Pay someone $5,000 to shoot paintballs at mail carriers. Receive $50,000 for turning them in. $45,000 profit. I kind of chuckled at that. I did. Because at, at surface, I'm like, would that work? Then I was like, no, that won't work. Because the only thing the dude's going to say when you turn him in, hey, dipshit over here paid me $5,000 to shoot him. You need to indict him too. And guess what? They're going to indict you too for that. Yes, they are. And you're probably going to get more time than the dude who shot it. But like I said, some of these pro tips, I said it last week, some of these pro tips, just complete crap. They really are. This is one of the complete crap ones. So yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't shoot people with paintballs. It stings. Moving right along. This is from the Unethical Life Pro Tips subreddit, and it's a request. The guy wants to know what's the best way to hide alcohol in a dorm room. Hmm. Well, my initial knee-jerk reaction answer would be, well, sir, have you tried your anal cavity? Oh, Brett, that is so lame, dude. That is so lame. Well, you know what? It's not about getting rich. It's not. It's not. It's about hustling. It's about doing these little crappy things because you've got that hustler mentality. And it's not always the big thing. It's not always like my mom used to do, going down and buying empty medicine capsules and filling it with diet drugs and then trying to sell it as speed. It's not like that. Although that's part of the unethical life, too. I, I was an army brat. I grew up all over the world. But when we finally settled down, we settled down. My mom had left my dad. And we settled down in Hazard, Kentucky, in the coal fields. And I grew up with my two first cousins, Sean and Ronnie. And at the end of the street, there was Fred and Brian. We all hung out together. The sad thing is, is that we all went into crime. Fred didn't. Fred was, Fred was probably the best of us all. But Ronnie went to federal prison. Brian went to prison. Sean did not go to prison. He, uh, he was just kind of an ass. But we all went to federal. We all, a lot of us went to prison. Brian, Brian overdosed on uh, Oxycontin and cocaine. I think he overdosed on Christmas Day. Then the following Thanksgiving, his brother, Fred, overdosed on Oxycontin and cocaine as well. And they both died. But I still remember that Brian, I, I didn't, I never smoked pot. I mean, to this day, I've smoked maybe, I don't know, eight or nine joints my entire life. I just don't like it. I lose track of time. I don't like that. I don't like not being in control. But I remember that, show you some of the hustler mentality here. Brian had, did two things. The first is, they're, they're kind of similar. So outside of the neighborhood, there was this convenience store that had a car wash attached to it and everything else like that. So Brian's coming through, you know, walking through at two o'clock in the morning. And I guess the kid's only, hell, he's probably only 13 years old at this point. So he walks through and he just happens to see that the guy is counting that day's money. And the guy turns his back. I guess the guy has to go use the bathroom, whatever. So Brian just grabs the money bag, like $1,500, grabs the money bag, takes off. Gets up with Sean and Ronnie, and they hire a taxi to take them from Hazard, Kentucky, to Lexington, Kentucky. The taxi was a dollar a mile. It's 120 miles away. Hire a taxi to take them up there, hang out all day long in Lexington, blow all the money and everything like that. Come back, and everybody's wondering where they were and everything. And you know, I didn't, I didn't get to go with them because I was in bed asleep when they left. They come back, and of course, the store has cameras, and they get Brian on camera stealing the money, and they take Sean and Ronnie and Brian to court, and you know, because they all help spend the money. And, of course, they don't charge them for anything, but they had to repay it. That's part of that hustler thing. And Brian just seeing the opportunity of what was there and seizing the opportunities. It's, it's petty, but it's a bit of an opportunity. You capitalize on these opportunities. The other thing that was very similar to that 
first time I smoked pot, Sean and Ronnie were gone. I was at the house playing video games. The adults were gone that day and I hear this horn outside. So I peek out the window and there's Brian. He's riding with somebody in a car and he's motioning me. He's yelling for me to come outside. So I come outside and I walk up to the car. It's like, yeah, Brian, what's going on? And Brian at this point is probably, I guess he's 17 or 18. I'm like, what's going on, man? And he pulls out this big Ziploc gallon bag and it's loaded with marijuana. It's got a pound of marijuana. For those who don't know, a gallon bag of a Ziploc freezer bag holds basically a pound of pot. So... He's got this pound of pot. I'm like, where in the hell did you get that? Where he'd got it, he goes to buy pot off of his dealer. His dealer makes the mistake of kind of showing Brian where he's getting the pot, where he's got this pot stashed, you know, under a porch. So Brian acts like he's leaving. He doubles back around, goes and steals the entire pound from the guy. So Brian showed it to me. He's like, would you like to smoke some? Well, I'd never smoked any in my life. I was 19 at that point. I'd never smoked any, any in my life. And I was like, yeah, let's try that. That's the first time I tried pot was age 19, and I hated it. Uh, next time I tried it, I think I was 30, 34, 33, 34, and I still don't like it. It's, it's just something that doesn't appeal to me at all. But it's that, it's that capitalizing on opportunities of people just – you see the opportunity, and it's that hustler mentality that sees the opportunity and then capitalizes on it at that point. So that's it for this edition of The Unethical Life. Thank you so much. You can't always get what you want. I say you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find. You get what you need. That's right. That's right. I'm singing again because, again, my career as a singer never really took off. I'm hoping that maybe, perhaps, some big singing record executive out there, he'll notice this and say, you know what? We really need a guy who can't carry a tune in a bucket. That guy will sell millions, millions, or maybe not. Anyway, that's it for this episode of the Online Fraudcast. Thank you for listening. You know, we've got a lot of fraud to talk about on this show. I mean a lot. So please continue to tune in. Also, feel free to drop me a line saying hello. I really, and I mean, I really do like it when you say hello. You can reach me at brett.johnson at onlinefraudcast.com. That is brett, B-R-E-T-T dot Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N at onlinefraudcast.com. You can find me on Twitter, on Facebook, LinkedIn, or directly on our website, www.onlinefraudcast.com. And yes, I also want to hear what you like and what you don't like about the show. So please, please email me. And hey, tell people about the show. Rate and review the online broadcast to help others find us as well. And here, here's the thing. Here's my promise to you. You will always get the truth from me. No holding back, nothing left out. And I will always work to protect you against the type of person that I used to be. Until next time, stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.
jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.